Have you ever dealt with somebody hard-headed? <laughs> that was in my notes before this ever came up. I'm just saying. I mean, you know, that kind of person just has to learn the hard way that you can explain and explain and explain and explain and there's still no luck that they still just sit there and go no nope i can't believe it i won't do it they're set in their ways it's uh you know the one of the greatest see i have all these these great debates these today that are in my head one of the greatest things that people debate about and when i do premarital counseling i tell everybody the one thing they have to agree on and is which way the toilet paper goes on the roll. That can destroy a marriage, let me tell you. It's just one of those things. But it's just there are some people who have it in their head, it has to be this way. We have to do it this way. We have to do it that way. You can be, you know those people that we're talking about, the ones who are so stubborn that no matter if you picked it up and showed them the factual information, they still go, now where'd you get that from? It really wouldn't matter. <laughs> See, Ellen knows somebody like that. You know, and this week, we look at a person just like that. Um, in the book of Acts, we've seen the ascension. Jesus has gone back into heaven. We've seen, we've seen Pentecost and the Spirit of God poured out on man. Um, great numbers have been saved there from the preaching of Peter, the, the very unlikely preacher. You've seen miracles by the disciples. You've seen Disciples stand firm against authority. We've seen here, uh, if you read in, in 7 and 8, the trial and death of Stephen. And all of these things happen today while the subject of our sermon was consenting. He was there watching and he was seeing and he, he was just kind of there being the coat man whenever they stoned Stephen. He just watched and he was, he was good. He, he liked it. Good. They're getting rid of one more of those people who follow that man, Jesus. And so this morning, we're in the ninth chapter of the book of Acts, in the first 19 verses. And for a lot of us, it's a very familiar passage, and we're just going to read through those quickly, and we're going to discuss what they can bring to our life today. And it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus. So if he found any men or women who belonged to the way... He might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul since he is praying there. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. And Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, 
For this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And all at once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now. We thank and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time Father, use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel. May the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake and all God's people said. Amen. I read this this passage and, woo, it's exciting, right? And I never can know if Jesus is like Saul or if he's like Saul. I can't tell, you know. I want to picture Jesus as this this very soft-spoken guy. But, you know, here I think something else is going on because... The situation at hand is Saul is still, it says, breathing threats and murder. He's still trying to do the damage he can do. He is wanting to wipe out the people of the way, the followers of Jesus, Christians, before they were called Christians. He goes to the town leaders, the town council. He goes to those people who have authority and he says, give me letters that gives me authority when I get to Damascus so that I can go in and find any man or woman who was following Jesus, and I can bring them back here, and we can wipe them out. Man, he was hard-headed. He's got the letters. Man, let's go. He's on fire. He's on fire to do what he knows he has to do, or he thinks he knows what he has to do, and he's going. He's got an entourage. He's got some guards with him. He's got everything that he needs to take these people and put an end to them. It's there. And in the midst of that, he gets almost to Damascus. And oh my goodness, there's a bright light. And he hears a voice. It drives him to his knees. And Jesus speaks. You know, sometimes Jesus' call comes as a confrontation. Saul had every opportunity to choose the true people of God, but he was too hard-headed. He had, he had watched these events unfold. He knew the Scriptures. He was a student of the Scriptures. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew exactly what had to come. He knew what was going on, but yet he was too hard-headed to see in Jesus the fulfillment of Scriptures. The only way that God was going to get through to this man who was going to kill the church was a confrontation. He came to him and he said, Saul, now you're going to listen. You know, sometimes Jesus has to confront us. We get so comfortable in the things that we're doing, we get so comfortable in the life that we're living, that sometimes Jesus has to go, Stop! No more! Listen, I've got so much more for you. Sometimes it's sin. Sometimes it's failure. Sometimes it's lack of dedication. You know, this morning's Bible reading was there in Leviticus. And it was about the burnt offering. And I said this in the the devotional this morning. Was that the one thing that kept being said at the burnt offering was, the fire must be kept going. The fire must be kept going. Sometimes we let the fire go out. 
Sometimes we quit trying. Sometimes we get comfortable. Sometimes we, got, we lock the padding in our pews. It is conformed to our backside. Because that's where I sit. That's what I do. That's where I do church. But sometimes God's saying, stop, that's not enough. Sitting in a pew isn't enough. There's more that I want from you. He comes to us in a confrontation. And there are those times when Jesus' call will bring you to your knees. I've been there. There have been times when I have gotten off the track. And I've told you about some of those. I was so upset and I was so mad and I was so distraught. And I had begun doing everything that I could do to make God mad. And he brought me to my knees. Because I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't walk that road anymore. I couldn't make it there anymore. And Jesus said, well then stop and come home. Sometimes he confronts us. But the the truth here is, each person's call is as unique as the individual. That's why some people had these huge emotional moments, right? Saul's is, hey Saul, stop! But he walks by the boys fishing and he says, hey guys, follow me. Maybe for you, Jesus whispered to you and you felt the call and you left. Maybe if you were like me, he had to go, listen, you're not following. Some of the most beautiful stories that I've heard are those that don't have the big fireworks. They just simply know. There was a man in a church once that I'd been pouring myself into. And when he came down the aisle for baptism, he didn't come down with big fireworks that anybody could see. He came down and he said, I'm ready. A small word. He spent his life as an atheist. He spent his life knowing that, that only science could tell him the way And when he came down and he was ready, it wasn't fireworks and it wasn't anything big and it wasn't grand. It wasn't God holding on to him and taking things away from him. He didn't do to him what happened to Job. He didn't do those things. He simply called upon his heart and the man walked down and he said, I'm ready. It's time. Both types of experience are equally valid and important because it takes both kinds of experience to build the church that God is going to use. Because not everybody's going to hear the fireworks. Not everybody takes well to big loud things. They just don't. Some people need the quiet. Some people need it to be totally quiet to hear from God. I don't know how some people hear from God for about 16 years. You have a kid, it's never quiet again. Some people can hear from God in the midst of chaos. But it takes all kinds. Each person's call is as unique as the individual. But the the, the neat thing to me here is, is that the relationship between Jesus and his followers is mysteriously intimate. Jesus appears and he says, Saul, why are you persecuting me what Saul didn't know Jesus until that moment he was persecuting the church 
He was persecuting believers, but somehow it's one and the same. Carrie and I were having a discussion in the car yesterday about potatoes. I won't talk about the discussion. I was right. She was wrong. That's all you need to know. Um, she said, she called me a jerk or something, or she was mad at me. I said, oh, yo, now you're mad at me. And Micah said, well, if you're mad at daddy, you're mad at me. <laughs> there you go, girl. Yes, that's the way it is. But that's it here. That's, that's the way this works. Jesus comes to Saul and he says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, well, who are you? I haven't touched you. He said, I'm Jesus. Jesus, the one you're persecuting. I'm Jesus. It's me. This is utterly different from any belief out there. This is utterly different from any other religion in the world. And Saul at this moment, he, he knows something's going on because when he says that, this, there's something going on because a Jewish person would never say that when they persecute God, they're persecuting Israel because God is there and we are here. And God's head is in heaven and his foot is in the tabernacle and never the two shall mix. Something's going on and Jesus says, you're persecuting me. There is a relationship between God and man in Christ that never existed before. It's never been there. And so when we identify with Christ, when we are saved by Christ, when we have that kind of relationship, it has to change our life. There are ramifications to everything that we do. And one of those things is when we mistreat believers, we mistreat Christ. Mm. And it doesn't matter what denomination those believers are. If they believe in Jesus, they're a believer. If we persecute them, if we mistreat them, we're mistreating Christ. That's hard. Because we like to think, and everybody in every church likes to think, we are the right ones. And everybody else is wrong. I don't know. We, we're human. We mess up sometimes. I believe we're mostly right. 95% of the time. Maybe 90. I don't know. But Jesus said, when you mistreat those who follow me, you're mistreating me. Unfortunately, Baptists are known for one thing for the mo by most people. Well, okay, besides food. Fighting. We're known for fighting, right? You know, we say Baptist business meeting and everybody goes, oh, that's what we're known for. And sometimes, depending on the church, they can get pretty heated. And you got to go, wait a minute, we love each other. Had to be like my mama. If y'all don't stop it, I'll make you go outside in the front yard and hug for 30 minutes. We're a new creation when we have Jesus. And our relationship with Him changes who we are. It's mysteriously intimate. Christ lives in me. And there's something about that that is not easy to explain, but yet it is so rich in the truth that it is. Some of the songs in the hymnal that, that 
I, you know, you can't help but smile when you're seeing them since Jesus came into my heart. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know. When we look at, at, at the idea of Christ living within us, it changes who we are because there is this relationship that hasn't existed ever before. You know, it, 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 it's so foreign to people who, don't, who haven't heard it because what do you mean Jesus lives in you? Well, I mean, He lives in me. He's there. He's taken up residence. I run everything by Him. I let Him guide my life. I let Him tell me where to go and what to do and, and how to do it. And, and when I find myself doing those things that, that I shouldn't do, He's the first one that says, Troy, stop! You shouldn't be there! Run! I love the story of Joseph in Genesis. He left, he left, his, he left his clothes. Woo. I got to get away from this woman. He heard God saying, Joseph, run! Get away! Don't be near that. Stay away from that. Christ lives in me. And there's a mysterious intimacy to that that people who don't have Christ in them can't understand. But when they understand it, something clicks. Something happens and something changes. And how we live life changes. And we can never look at others the same way again. And if we can, we, there's something fundamentally wrong in our relationship. Because every human on the planet was created with the divine spark, the image of God. And they're all potential children of God. And that's hard. Because there are some people we look at and go, they don't deserve grace. Neither did I. But, but no. There's no buts. That's one of those words that we try not to use. Kids hate it. And when I used to sub, because they would come up and they'd say, well, I want to blah, 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 but nope. Anything you say from here on out negates what you just said. Because you really didn't mean that, if you're going to tell me a but. Yes. It's, it's this idea of let's allow Christ to work and to change us and to change who we are and to do these, these big things with us. But as we go on in this passage, we see that others may not understand your call. The man who stood there, they saw the light, they heard something, but they didn't get it. What? All they knew, Saul was talking to somebody. The dude's lost his mind. Probably with he, he lost his mind. He fell to his knees and he's talking to somebody. And there's some rumble, but I don't know what it is. There's something going on here. Something's happening. Desperately, something's happening. They knew something was happening, but they didn't know what. You know, others may sense God's call on your life, but not understand what your call is. They may know that God puts you there for something special, but they don't know what that call is. And we do that sometimes. And, and sometimes we, we uh, do an in-service, an injustice to people who come and, and they feel the call of God and we automatically assume we know what that call is. Oh, you must be called to, to preach. Maybe not. Maybe they're called to work with children. Maybe they're called to work with youth. 
Maybe they're called to, to go off somewhere else and be a teacher in a foreign country. Maybe they're called to be a doctor. Maybe they're called to something else that God is calling them to. We have to take the time to help people understand their call. Because I can't tell somebody what their call is. God didn't talk to me about it. Here's, here's a rule for me. <laughs> if God's talking to you, he's going to talk to you first. Because if he talks to me first, it's like me strong-arming you. Well, I think God wants you to, to help with the children. Well, are you going to tell the pastor no? God's not telling him that? That's wrong. The, the truth is, we find ourselves in this situation where we have to let people know that when they come down and they accept a call, it's not simply we're going to put you into preaching. It's that we will help you find the call for you. Saul's call was very, very specific. He said, he's going to go and take my name to the and the kings and the Israelites. That was a very specific call. Everybody else so far had been preaching to Israel. Saul was different. Another person's in this passage, though, Ananias. funny thing about this is that God's call might make you nervous. Look at Ananias. God comes to him. Ananias! Here I am, Lord. I want you to go to the street called Straight. There's a man there by the name of Saul. He's from Tarsus. He, uh, he's waiting for you. He had a vision that you're going to come and pray for him. And so you need to go there. And Ananias says, um, Lord! Heard about that guy. He wants to kill me. Lord. No. And Jesus says, Go. Or go! Exclamation point. When we ever watch Star Wars, you know, at the beginning they have that. I always read the, the, the punctuation, you know, dot, dot, dot. Go! Exclamation point. That's what Jesus said. Just go. He's waiting for you. This is the man that I have chosen. I know you're scared. I know you're upset. I know you've heard many things. But he's the one that I've chosen. My name to the Gentiles and to kings and to all of Israel. Go. I will show you. I will show him how much he must suffer by, for my name. And Ananias goes, okay. And he left. And he went. Sometimes God calls us into scary situations. Sometimes He calls us into dangerous situations or unknown situations. Situations where we feel ill-equipped. Carrie and I's first date. Maybe second date. I don't know which one it was. We were supposed to go to the Italian restaurant. And then we are going to go to the lake and walk around. I was romantical like that. <laughs> On the way to the lake, we were in my... 1982 orange suburban <laughs> driving to the lake and uh, I looked in the rearview mirror as this truck much newer than mine pulls over the passenger door opens and a woman comes tumbling out and the truck speeds off <laughs> and I said um sorry we're not going to the lake and she was looking at me like huh and so we turned around, we picked up this lady, 
went back to the parsonage and called the cops. And then I took her back to her house to get her things because her boyfriend had beat her up and thrown her out on the side of the road. And she said, no, 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 we can't go back there. He might be there. So <laughs> I didn't know I was a comedian. Man. I said, so? You need to be out of there. God put me on your path for a reason. Let's go do this and get you to safety. But we can't. Let's go. And so we went. He didn't show up. So thank the Lord for that. But two months later, we were in the science building at Howard Payne at night for some weird reason. And we were walking through and I heard a lady, somebody from behind me going, Pastor, Pastor! And I stopped and I turned around and it was this lady. And she was telling me that she was out. She had a new house. She had started a new job there at Howard Payne cleaning the, the buildings. And she was just so thankful. Sometimes... God calls us into situations that are scary, they're dangerous, they're unknown, but He still calls us to go. God's call may make you nervous. You may say, God, but I don't want to go. So, God, can you choose somebody else? Can, can you send somebody else? Anybody. And maybe you just feel ill-equipped, but the truth is, if God calls you to it, He'll provide a way to do it. The number one excuse I hear for not doing something for God is I don't know how to do it. I've never done that. I wouldn't know how. And so, we spend collectively, as, as a church, not just this church, the church general, thousands of dollars on programs to teach us how to share the gospel with somebody. I, 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 can, I can boil that down to you very easily right here. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And there it is. And what does the Bible tell me? that I'm a sinner, that Christ died for my sins. And if I accept him, I can have eternal life. That's the gospel. It doesn't take much more than that. But we find ourselves and we go, I, I, don't, I don't know how. But you know, if God calls you to it, he'll provide you a way to do it. Some of the greatest ministries in the world started because somebody just said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I'll go. We have 90% of our New Testament because Saul becomes Paul when he says, yes, Lord, I'll go. We have an international missions board and a North American missions board because a few people a few years back said, yes, Lord, we'll go. But I don't know how. Okay. I love the story of William Carey. A man who lived 
in, in a place that was all particular Baptist, and I don't mean a particular church. I mean particular Baptists who believe that everything and everyone is elected beforehand. There is no choice. There is no acceptance of Christ. Only Christ choosing you. And he looked at his church members and he said, we need to go and we need to take the gospel to the heathen in India. And they said, why? If God wants to save them, he'll save them. And Carrie said, well, I've got to go. And so he got some people together, and they sent Carrie. And Carrie packed up everything he had into a box about, you know, six foot long and three foot wide because that box would also have to serve as your coffin back then. All your stuff went in it, and he went along the way. Along the way, he lost two wives, and he spent like six years in India by himself before he ever had one convert. But now we see what God has done throughout the world. All because one man that many hundreds of years ago said we need to go and take the message of Jesus to people everywhere else. He didn't know Hindi. He, he didn't know their customs, but he went. If God calls you to it, he's going to provide you a way to do it. He doesn't send us out without the tools that we need. He'll provide for us. He even tells his disciples at one point, when you were called on the carpet... When you were called in in front of all the people, when, when the magistrate calls you in, when the authorities call you in and they question you, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Spirit will give you the worship. Say it when you're there. Maybe this morning you're hard headed. I could probably do this, but I won't. Maybe you are. Maybe you're one of those that God has to take and shake a little bit and slap you around a little bit and say, listen. Well, let this today be your wake-up call that God is calling you to so much greater than what you may be doing right now. Maybe, maybe you've just let the noise drown out the voice of God for you. It's so easy. It's so easy to, to miss what God's saying in the middle of the crowd. I was at a basketball game a few days ago, and... Uh, it was loud, and Shiloh was trying to talk to me. Shiloh has this habit. When I need him to be quiet, he talks like this. And when I need him to be loud, he talks like this. We're in the middle of the basketball game, and he's like, Daddy. What? Get up here and yell it at me. Maybe that's been God's voice for you. The crowd, the noise of life is drowning it out. And so you hear us somewhere, but you don't know that it's God speaking to you. If you keep ignoring it, at some point he's going to say, Hey, you're not listening. Man. One of these days, we're all going to stand face to face with God. And the Bible says there's no more tears in heaven, but I believe outside the gate, I'm probably going to cry. Just saying. Because I, I'm a technology guy. There's this 94-inch screen that God is going to flash things on, and he's going to say, why didn't you share me with him? Why didn't you share me with her? 
was I not important enough to tell them about? Because I don't think that when I get there, my sins will be held against me because Jesus promises me they won't. But I do think I'm going to come full knowledge of the times that I failed to follow through on what God has called me to do. And when we stand face to face with God, I want us all to be able to be there and go, there's nothing on that screen. I did what God called me to do. And I shared with everybody that I could share with. Maybe this morning, you've been looking for a way to serve God. You've been looking for a way to share. Come to me. Let's talk about it. I'll find you a place. We'll plug you in somewhere. Maybe this morning, you want to pray over just anything. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe you want to rededicate your life this morning. Or maybe this morning you've never taken a step to say, I know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Let now be the time. It's not hard. You just walk down and say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus. And we'll go from there. But whatever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, take this time. Move in us. Light the fire again in our hearts, Father that we would want to share your gospel with all those around us. Father, let us not cling to the status quo any longer, but reach this world with the gospel. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we ask all these things in the name of your son Jesus and for his sake. Amen.